All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I'm joined by setting the edge in football outsiders, Charles McDonald. We're talking about the impact of Jimmy Garoppolo's record-breaking deal and the fallout it could have on Matt Ryan's new contract, as well as getting geared up for the 2018 scouting combine. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Charles, welcome back to the show. We last had you on previewing the Rams game that wound up being a win. Um, I personally blame you for the Falcons losing against the Eagles because the week that you decided to get off the hashtag not my OC bandwagon was also the week that uh, Sark called his worst game. Yeah, that was fair. But how Falcons of it is like they were they were the only team to slow down the Super Bowl offense like. Of course, but they couldn't get it done on the other side of the ball. It's just, it's just so frustrating watching this team. And you know what? It's even dumber is like if Keanu Neal doesn't knee that ball into the air like right before <laughs> halftime, they probably they, they have a pretty good chance of going on to win that game. But ugh, such is the life of being a Falcons fan. Yep, I'm used to it by now. In yeah. terms of uh, worse losses, now nah, it was funny oh, to we've me. We've had worse. Yes. <laughs> People were like, I can't get over this Eagles loss. Like, really? Like, compared to last year, you can't get over this Eagles loss? This is easy. This is a walk in the park. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into this Garoppolo deal. For those of you that have been living under a rock the last couple of days, Jimmy Garoppolo signed the highest uh, contract in NFL history on a per-year basis. Five years, $137.5 million. That's $27.5 million a year. $74.1 million guaranteed with $48.7 guaranteed at signing. And it basically works out to a three-year, $86.4 million contract. Uh, his cap hit in 2018 is going to be $37 million. Um, so I asked the question to you, Charles. Do you think uh, Jimmy G is worth it? Well, I I I think if you just saw like his body of work to end the season, he you know just based on like on metrics, he was like a top like six quarterback for the season, like for those last what seven games he played or five games? I think it was five, yeah, yeah, five because he's five. He was five when he started, but I mean he was he was good, uh, and I think when you're a team like the Forty ers and you have but before he signed that deal, they had $110 million in cap space. You know, it, it, it doesn't really matter if you, I guess, if you extend a guy, if you believe in him. And if you're going to structure it like they did where they throw about $40 million in the first year when you already have 110 free, like you still have, what, about $70 million to play with in free agency in the draft. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and when you look at, like, how the cap hits work, his deal actually won't be that expensive like once you get past the first two years. So uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. If he's their guy, then this this was the right move for them. If he ends up not being their guy, then you find that out year one and maybe you stick with you suffer with him through year two, but you can move on pretty easily because you gave him so much money in the first year. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, sort of, you know, there's been a lot of talk, talk back and forth about sort of like he's only – you know, started seven games in his career. Seven and no, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you I know, I was, I was, I didn't watch a ton of 49ers football this year just because it made me too depressed. Um, but like, oh, from man. what, I, from what I saw this year, 
Um, he was really good in that offense, and he looked like he was, you know, running it just as efficiently as Matt Ryan was, and without not nearly the the level of talent around him that Matt Ryan had. And, you know, that's not a knock against Matt Ryan. It's just, you know, that's how good Jimmy G was. Um, I'm just curious, sort of, do you feel like are we just sort of scratching the surface for his potential once he gets more years in his belt, and presumably when the 49ers start using all that draft uh, capital and that cap space? to start getting better quality players around him. And, and we're talking about a guy that could be a, a top 10 quarterback, you know, pretty much every year from the, over these next couple of years, or is this more just like he was got hot, you know, for five games and not counting the two starts he had in new England and whatnot. Nah, I, I think he was legit good for those games. And I, I thought it was so impressive for him to, to come in mid season and, uh, well, I think I think they benched him for two weeks while he was learning the playbook, and then as soon as he he was starting, like their offense looked like a complete, like, not even just their offense, they looked like a completely different team. Uh, I mean, I, I just said they went five and zero down the stretch. Uh, they lit up the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, uh, and I think they had like thirty six offensive points in that game, which is just absurd com- considering the year that Jacksonville just came off of and, and how close they were to getting to the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I feel, I think if you're a 49ers fan, you got to feel pretty good about this. Like, like I said, you still have a, a ton of room to work with. Uh, it, the fact that he was able to get in, and we we've seen quarterbacks like you know Matt Ryan struggle in the first year of Kyle Shanahan's offense. Uh, for him to come and pick that up and just light defenses up without a, really a, a great supporting cast, I mean, you got to feel pretty good about that. So, I think if you're the Niners, you're you're feeling good right now. Maybe not so good about the uh, Ruben Foster arrest that just happened, but. Uh, still, you're 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 just like a couple of receivers, and maybe just like a like you're you're a few receivers, and maybe you store up the offensive line away from potentially being like a top twelve offense for for a full sixteen game slate. So that's a pretty impressive turnaround from where they were under Chip Kelly a couple of years ago. Yeah, and with Ruben Foster acting up, uh, I was this close in my last mock draft to put giving them Roquan Smith. So I certainly know when I, I do my next one, he'll, he'll probably wind up going in the top 10 of the 49ers, uh, given what Ruben is doing. And speaking of mock drafts, why don't you guys check out Locked On NFL Draft Podcast with hosts John Ledyard and Trevor Sikama every day on the Locked On Podcast Network, wherever podcasts can be found. Um, so let's, let's talk about how this monster deal affects Matt Ryan. I think everybody sort of expects, everybody's been predicting, every media person, every supposed cat guru is saying that you know you know and we don't even know what Kirk Cousins is going to get but like Matt when Matt Ryan gets his deal later this year and when Aaron Rodgers get their deal we get his deal either later this year or you know before next season uh they're going to make you know this Garoppolo deal look pretty silly uh, I'm curious sort of where are you with on that as a very vocal Matt Ryan hater. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, but like, you know, when we see this number, if, if it's like 30 million a year, if it's, you know, 150 million and like 100 million guaranteed or, or whatever that number is, uh, what are you going to think when, when you see that those final numbers come rolling in? Uh, I think you know, he, he won the MVP two years ago. So like, I, I don't, you know, there are people upset that he might not take a hometown discount, but why should he? he? He won the MVP two years ago. I thought that he had another really good year this year. Like, ex- save for 
that Buffalo game, I thought he had he had a, another good year. I, I think he was a uh, he was PFF's number two quarterback for the season, and I think like their sixth overall player uh, for their PFF one on one series. So, you know, I, I thought that he was a stabilizing force on offense that was, I, I guess, tumultuous tumultuous for most of the season. Um, you know, just give him give him his cash. You know, uh, if it's thirty million, that's fine. If it's 31, 29, whatever, whatever the number is, I don't really think you can trip about it just based on what he's meant to this franchise, what he's produced on the field. And, you know, he's still playing like a good quarterback. So it's not like you can let him walk. So if he wants to take a hometown discount, I'm for that. If he wants to do, go the Tom Brady route and maybe if he and, you know, Arthur Blank talk about it and say he wants to go the Tom Brady route where Maybe they up his bonus sums and lower his cap hit so they can add more players. I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm going to be happy to see it get done. And, you know, he's the best quarterback in the history of this franchise, and he's going to get paid like it. That's a lot coming from you, Charles, because I know how you feel about Michael Vick. So, Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, 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 and honestly, it took me until the MVP season for me to officially get on board with that take. But, you know, you, you, can't, you can't argue with the numbers. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, it, it's it's been bits since he had that MVP season. It's been inevitable that he was going to get you know this monster deal. And now that we've seen, um, you know, Der- Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, now Garoppolo, and now people are talking about Cousins might you know take Garoppolo's record in the next couple of weeks when he hits the open market. Drew um, Brees too. He's going to yeah. get a huge deal. Yep. And and so you know it's just it's the nature of the beast. That's what I've been saying all along for like the last couple of years. You you may not be happy with these quarterbacks getting all this money. You know, you can you can argue until you're blue in the face whether or not they're technically worth it or not, but you know, it is what it is. That's just the the way it is in this league and you know, you can't fault Matt Ryan for yeah. you know, being good at his job. You go like if you let Matt Ryan go, he's he's signed by a team for like thirty two million dollars a year tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now we're going to come right back and talk a little bit about the combine. But first, I want to run a clip from Lockdown 49ers host Brian Peacock offering his assessment and insight into this Garoppolo deal. Check out Brian on the Lockdown 49ers podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Find that wherever podcasts are available now, including Spotify. First of all, just an overview of this deal. If you've been hiding under a rock over the last few days, Jimmy Garoppolo has signed a huge extension with the San Francisco 49ers. Five years, $137.5 million, making him, from a, a yearly average perspective, $27.5 million a year is the highest paid player in the NFL currently or ever in NFL history. Uh, very, very good money if you can get it for a guy who's played seven NFL games and has been spectacular and won all seven of those contests. For perspective of some of the players that Jimmy Garoppolo currently makes more than, uh, and it started in March of 2016, Joe Flacco, uh, he's around $22, $23 million, as is Andrew Luck, who became the highest paid player in the NFL in June of 2016. Then Derek Carr came over the top of both of those guys with his contract, $25 million per year in June of 2017. Then a month later, a couple months later, in August of 2017, Matthew Stafford signed a contract worth $27 million a year. And that brings us to February 2018, a newly minted Jimmy Garoppolo making $27.5 million a year, is now the highest paid player in NFL history, and he is soon to be surpassed by Kirk Cousins this offseason. 
and most likely other players like Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers going forward. And in a few years, Jimmy Garoppolo may not even be in the top five anymore. So uh, that's the hope that he's worth this contract, that he is your franchise guy. And then in a couple years down the road, uh, he's making the amount of money that we're thinking about what it is that Joe Flacco makes. And that, that was signed only in 2016, that contract. And a lot of that, that I remember that one opened a lot of eyes. And uh, that was the big, uh, you know, quote unquote, is Joe Flacco elite conversation that uh, that's been ongoing since then. But Jimmy Garoppolo, he's locked up for the next five years. But is it really a five year, one hundred thirty seven and a half million dollar contract? Well, for that, we have to get into the details in the fine print of this deal. The best part of this contract is the 49ers used their immense amount of cap space in 2018 to their advantage and severely front-loaded this contract. So the risk they take is mostly up front because there are some outs I'll talk about in a second in this deal, but it's over $40 million they're dishing out in year one, a huge $28-plus million roster bonus. So really, down the road, this contract could be very team-friendly and help them in a number of ways with other contracts and other players as those come up in future years. So if Garoppolo is legit down the road, this is a fantastic deal. Uh, Early, if it turns out Jimmy Garoppolo isn't good, they're going to eat some money in the first couple years of this deal, and that's where it could possibly hurt them. But they have that cap space. They're never going to use all the cap space they have probably in 2018 or 2019. So that's a risk worth taking, and they're doing what a lot of teams don't do, and that's utilizing the space they have now, putting money up front and not pushing money into future years, which will also in turn help them down the road. So looking at this from a year-to-year deal, it could become, and this is where Parag Marate, the the 49ers cap guru, comes in, and, and all the contracts he does tend to give the 49ers that out after the first couple of years. And it was that way with the Kaepernick thing, not quite the bonus structure that the Kaepernick deal had, but again, 49ers have outs every year this contract after year two. Uh, it could become a two-year $61 million deal. It could become a three-year $86 million deal. Or it could become a four-year $105.8 million deal if he doesn't get the rest of those bonuses in year five or the bonuses from year four for making that all-pro team. So uh, basically, you know, everyone hopes, again, that it's a, it's a, it is a $137.5 million contract for five years, and he earns everything because that's the best for both sides, but there are some outs in case Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't turn out to be the guy that they think he is. And on the flip side, $27.5 million in a few years in the middle of this contract, if Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy that I fully believe he will be by that time in this contract, especially when there's more talent around him and when he's got a 100% grasp of Kyle Shanahan's offense, I think they are a perfect match as offensive coordinator and quarterback, then you're looking at this as potentially a bargain contract measured against you know the top five or six quarterbacks in the league if he is in that upper echelon of passers. The overriding feeling here is that you know whether it comes down to John Lynch and ownership or Jimmy Garoppolo and his agents themselves is you saw how Washington and Kirk Cousins botched this whole thing for many years in a row and nobody wanted to go down that road. They didn't want to do the tag route and that's that's amazing that they came together and they realized this and for John Lynch, yeah, maybe you save a little bit if you if you really play hardball, but more importantly, you pay a little bit more now, and then that way you don't pay a lot more later and potentially lose a player altogether. 
And on Garoppolo's end, maybe he plays out the franchise tag, and that's the way he wants to do it because he knows he can wait for a couple other quarterbacks to sign, and then his number could be a lot bigger in the 2019 offseason. But nobody wanted to do that. They didn't want to play that game and have that dance. They wanted to get something done. They wanted to move forward as an organization and as a football team. And you got to love that as a 49ers fan if you're looking at this team and hoping that, unlike past regimes, everyone's on the same page in this This thing is working together and marching forward as a unit and as one club. So if the question to me is, is this a good contract for the 49ers? I say, that's a great contract for the 49ers. Is it a good contract for Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. At the time of signing, a guy that's played seven games has a chance at the time of signing, at least, to be the highest paid quarterback in the league. And he's still got to play well and he's still got to earn the rest of this deal. So I love that there's outs in the contract for the 49ers. Hopefully they don't have to use them and that Jimmy Garoppolo earns this deal. And I think it's a great deal for both sides. So kudos to not only Garoppolo for earning the deal and his agent, but also to John Lynch and Pragmarate for the way they structured this deal. I think it's a really win-win situation for both the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. So, Charles, um, let's get into the combine. And I'm I'm sort of curious sort of how you factor the combine in sort of these athletic, the underwear Olympics, as some people like to call them. Uh, into your own evaluations and sort of how do you think the Falcons um, factor these things in? Well, I think they, the way I look at the combine and I I think the way the Falcons look at the combine is when you have, let's say a pool of players and with the draft over the course of seven rounds, you're looking at, you know, like 400 players that you could potentially select you're just out of the pool of players available and i think that the combine does a good job of eliminating which players you don't want to take now it's not like a a foolproof method because we've seen guys on the falcons like Devontae freeman who didn't have a combine come and 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 be a star but for the most part i think we're seeing i I think we're seeing uh better athletes kind of help change the game and you know the falcons they've, they've been all over these stud athletes since ever since dan quinn uh, got hired. So I think they kind of use it to whittle down uh, who they're going to select in the draft. And I think when you, uh, I think when you kind of isolate the athletic metrics, it gives you a better chance of hitting on some of these players like, uh, like a Tack McKinley or a Keanu Neal, you know, Grady Jarrett, what have you, like all these guys are just amazing athletes for their position. So uh, I think that that helps them kind of isolate and identify who they want come draft day. And it, it makes the whole process uh, a lot easier. I know last year they were big on like all their, all their draft picks hit at least like the 70th percentile in broad jump for their position. Uh, even like KZ didn't for cornerback, but when you switch into safety, he did. Uh, Duke Riley hit it. Tack McKinley definitely hit it. I think he was like in the 90s uh, for his percentile there. So they're definitely going to value athleticism. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see like who kind of blows up the combine this year because, uh, you know, those are guys that Falcons fans should probably keep an eye on. I think it was when you interviewed Dan Quinn at uh, the Senior Bowl and he, you, I think you quoted him as saying something about, like, you know, looking at explosiveness and not just necessarily looking at the 40-yard dash. And immediately my thought process was going back to sort of the broad jump. And, you know, we used to joke like, oh, Thomas Dimitrov is in love with the three-cone drill. And it's just like the minute he sees a sub-seven three-cone, he's just going to, you know, be frothing at the mouth, ready to go. But, like, 
you know, you we saw a player like Tack McKinley get drafted, who had this awful three cone last year uh, for his position, um, but blew it up with a you know like a, I think it was ninety fifth percentile in forty and ninety. 90 something percentile in the broad jump and it's like yeah. yeah there's certain positions where it does seem like the falcons like that you know that explosiveness and where they sort of factor it in is some of these broad jumps some of this 40 speed some of this vertical leap style type of stuff but there's still positions like wide receiver and linebacker and cornerback where they still value that sort of short area quickness in addition to sort of the speed so it is interesting to sort of see how things have changed uh, particularly since Dan Quinn has taken over, and it does seem like the broad jump is one of those areas. Even like Sean Harlow, I think, was like in the 70th percentile in terms of his broad jump as well. So, Yeah, he was a good athlete. And I think the way that fans need to, I guess, interpret these drills, because, like, you know, when you – the average fan is not going to go back and watch these guys on tape before they get drafted. Uh, so I think when you see these drills, like when you think of the three-cone – I guess think of that as kind of like short area agility. Like when you look at pass rushes, how they turn the corner, like that's a big one with the three cone, uh, like how quickly receivers can get in and out of their breaks. Uh, like Justin Hardy, he had like a, like a six, six, three cone. It's been like, it's something ridiculous like that. Uh, and then the broad jump kind of measures, like, I think I would measure as like explosion through contact. So when you look at guys like Keanu Neal, who was in the 90, I think he was like 96 percentile broad jump for, for uh, safeties. You know, obviously, you, we've all, all seen him lay guys yeah. out. Uh, Tack McKinley was up there. Grady Jarrett was up there. So, like, all, like, the big hitters on the Falcons team, they kind of have that that broad jump. And that really just measures, uh, like, the explosion in your hips, and that's what you're rolling through as you make tackle in a, and make contact. So uh, I don't know if that was, like, a theme for them, like, if they want to get more physical last year. Uh, I think they, they definitely were more physical as a defense as a whole. Uh, but it's, it's just going to be interesting to see – once we get down to the draft, like it's pretty easy to identify like who the Falcons are going to want to draft, but it's going to be interesting to see who they actually pick and how those guys fared within their own athletic testing. Yeah, you know, the simple two boxes that you need to check if you're a Falcons pick is if you're a senior, you played in one of the All-Star games, and yep. you had a really good broad jump. And like basically all their picks, uh, with the exception of the juniors that they've taken, and Wes Schweitzer... Uh, basically fit that. And Schweitzer got picked because Keith Carter, who just left the Falcons, was his position coach in college. So he knew him. So it's one of those things. If you you actually go in, like, Wes Schweitzer, he's not on mockdraftable.com. But if you actually just, like, look at his his numbers and uh, just compare them to, like, guards with the same time, he actually does hit those same, uh, like, I guess, athletic numbers in terms of for, for broad jump and three count. Yeah. So it, it is one of those things where it's like, you're right. It, it's You can sort of whittle it down to a list of players. And then when we get into March and April, they'll start working out some of these guys and they pretty much draft mostly guys that they work out. You know, the problem is that we don't always get all the information on who exactly they worked out, but you can pretty much whittle it down to like 50 players that the Falcons are really interested in almost every year uh, in terms of who they're going to draft from. And it just depends on, you know, how the board falls and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think the combine is certainly interesting. And that's one of the reasons why, like, I don't get too, too involved when I'm looking at Falcon prospects specifically prior to the combine. Cause I'm like, you know, once the combine hits, I can sort of eliminate a certain bunch of players from the Falcons sort of board just because they don't necessarily hit some of their athletic 
uh, metrics that they they're looking for. Yep. Um, I'm curious, sort of you personally, in terms of who, which guys you're looking forward to in terms of what they do at the combine, maybe some guys that you're curious if they're going to test well, because you question their athleticism, maybe certain guys that you're like, Oh, I, I think this guy's a stud. And I want to see if he's one of those guys that we see every year that blows up the combine. I know you're a Georgia guy, so I'm, I'm sure you're expecting guys like Sony Michelle and Roquan to light things up. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see sort of how Nick Chubb tests given his injury path and see how much, sort of that pre-injury athleticism that he might have gotten back. Um, so are there any other players out there for you that you're looking at, uh, particularly for this combine? Well, you know, not, not in terms of Falcons needs, just because I, I don't really know where they're going to go in the first round. Cause I, I think like when you look at this roster, I don't know, they could go, they could go re- really like cornerback, defensive line, offensive line. And I'd be fine with that in the first round. I'm just not very picky this year. Uh, but in terms of just general guys, I, I want to see. I want to see Denzel Ward, the corner out of Ohio State. He's he's on the shorter end. I wouldn't be surprised if he measured in at like five nine and a half, five ten. But he's got really long arms for his size. Really good athlete. Really physical at the line. And uh, you know, he's a guy that I would like to see in a Falcons uniform. Uh, just in terms of you know, it, it just I kind of like the idea of having Robert Alford and Desmond Trufant as kind of like your, I guess your. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm trying to look for. Uh, oh, like accomplished guys, and then you kind of throw in Denzel Ward uh, in the middle, and kind of Brian Poole just be whatever you need him to be uh, in the defensive backfield. Uh, kind of like what the Broncos did when they drafted Bradley Roby after they already had Tlaib and uh, Chris Harris. Just, you know, can never have enough good corners. I, I'm also interested in two linebacker prospects, Roquan Smith from Georgia, like you said, and then Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech. Edmonds is kind of interesting because he's kind of like – He's he's a weak side linebacker, but he's kind of built like uh, KJ Wright and Devondre Campbell are like you know big, uh, lanky, athletic, and run. Uh, and I think he's going to have a pretty big day. And another guy I'm looking at is Isaiah Lewin, the guard from Georgia. He had an unbelievable Senior Bowl week. Uh, I mean, just rock solid, dominant, made flashy plays in the run game. And he he had like a very seamless transition from left tackle to guard. Uh, from he played left tackle at Georgia moved to guard for the senior bowl week and he just dominated and he looks like a good athlete too. So uh, those are kind of the guys that I want to see. Uh, obviously I think we're all going to be excited to watch, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley and Lamar Jackson and just to see what they can do. Cause they should put on some ridiculous athletic feats at the combine. Uh, but yeah, those are the guys that I'm really, really excited to see. And I get to go to the combine for the first year, uh, first time this year, I'm going to be a, uh, Aaron Schatz, a little lackey for the week, so that should be fun. Okay. Uh, let me know how that goes. Oh, speaking of the Senior Bowl, um, I'm you know everybody's talking about the Falcons taking a defensive tackle or, or maybe an edge early in the, in the draft. I'm curious if there were anybody that sort of stood out to you that we were like, hmm, that guy's uh, that guy might be on the Falcons' radar, and if, if the Falcons do wind up picking up that guy, uh, I'll look forward to that. Anybody Isaiah Wynn. Isaiah yeah. Wynn. Okay. Just be, I, because I was watching the uh, the uh, O line D line one on ones every day. That's you know it's kind of my like me and Justice where we go around and uh and and watch for the most part practices. Uh, and Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, they were 
like borderline obsessed with Wynn uh, during the practices. I mean, every time Wynn had a rep, Dan Quinn would pull out his notebook and write something down and TD would say something and then they would follow him around the field. So it seems like he's definitely on their radar. Uh, and I, I think, I don't know where he would play. I don't know like where, what the deal with Levitri is or if they want to upgrade from West Schweitz here, but whether it's going to be left guard or right guard, I think that Wynn would just be, I think he'd be a perfect fit for what they want to do. I mean, he played, Power, he played power scheme and zone scheme at Georgia, and he excelled in both. So that's a guy who's, who's who might be on their radar for uh, what are they the twenty sixth pick in the draft? Yeah. So Isaiah Wynn. Okay, I, I heard a lot of people talking about um, the the kid from Fort Hayes State, uh, Shepherd. I think oh, Nathan Shepherd. He had a good week, uh, or not a good week. He's I think he's only there for like a day and a half before he got hurt. But it's always good for those guys who play at D two who don't get a chance to play against top-tier competition, when they can come in and kind of kick ass for a couple of days, I think that's always good for them. Like, we saw Javon Hargrave do that, uh, a, like, a couple of years ago, and he's been a stud for the Steelers. So I, I think that that's, that's kind of a good omen for him. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was curious, like, him and, and like, Andrew Brown, the, the, the kid from uh, UVA, um, like, if they do, the Falcons do go win or another offensive lineman in round one, then I think that puts like D tackle or, or something like that as a priority need going into round two. And, and those guys like Shepard and Brown are people that some people are, are putting in as like early day two prospects. And so I was just curious if you had any insight into those guys watching them practice. Now, I mean, I'm, Shepard looked like he belonged. So I need to kind of go back and watch and just, see, you know, sometimes it's hard to watch those, uh, like D2 guys, just because they're just so dominant compared to their field. Like I remember I watched uh, some of Ali Marpet's like Hobart tape, and I mean he, he's playing D3, and it's just like it, there's, you only need to spend five minutes to watch. <laughs> yeah, like okay, I'm not gonna gain anything from this. But then he go, he went down, and he had a nice week with Senior Bowl. So uh, I, I think when those small school guys show they can hang with the big boys, that's that's always a good sign. And, and Shepard definitely did. Okay. Well, Charles, uh, let the people know what you got coming up on Setting the Edge, as well as uh, what you're, you know, when you're down in Indianapolis on Football Outsiders, other than uh, carrying uh, Aaron Schatz's uh, water for him. Uh, what else <laughs> you doing? Uh, well, I don't know. We're going to have a new episode this week. Justice got sick for like two weeks after Mobile, because, I mean, we were, we, were, <laughs> we were treating our bodies like <laughs> so that, that kind of tends to happen. Uh, but we're going to have a new episode this week. And I'm going to be presenting at the Sloan Analytics Conference in Boston. I think that's next week, actually, uh, the 23rd. So if you're in Boston, you got some cash to spare. Definitely come through, and uh, and I'd be down to meet you. Uh, I'm gonna be talking about like my process watching the film, and I guess kind of teaching like a football one-on-one class. I guess I, I'm not I, like I put it together, and it's it's kind of goofy, but it's gonna make sense to me. And I'll, I'll release a PowerPoint after the conference is done. And, uh, yeah, after that, at the Combine, I'll really just be hanging out with shots and making friends and probably just trolling my good friend Robert Klemko, too. There you go. All right, Charles. Um, you can find Charles on Twitter at 4Verts. Anything else you need to plug before we let you go? No, that's it. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Appreciate it. I'm sure I'll be talking to you again uh, when we get into free agency and the draft further. Absolutely. Later. All right, man. See you. All right, guys, Charles McDonald once more. Always enjoy having Charles on the show. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. I don't, I don't have anything else to say. I, you know, these, these, you know, 
you know, this Jimmy Graham uh, fervor is taking so much out of me, but I'll save my rant for, you know, March as far as that goes. But uh, it's just fascinating to me to see how many people think, hey, Jimmy Graham's this red zone threat, but, yeah, he's a red zone threat because all Seattle does is throw fades to him. They threw 14 fades to him last year. He caught seven of them for touchdowns. That's why he had 10 touchdowns last year. And it's like, oh, man. Falcons probably ran, like, what, five fades the entire year? And it's like, you don't need to go out and pay Jimmy Graham all this money just so just so you can run a whole bunch of fades. You got Julio Jones, who's 6'3". You got Muhammad Sanu, who's 6'2". You got Austin Hooper, who's 6'6". Like, you can just run fades to those guys more than, you you know, you did last year, and you would get the same results, you know. But, hey, people... Got their takes. They 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 need that tight end position. They can't stand Austin Hooper. I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it. But I mean, I I get it. People are stupid. But <laughs> oh man! All right, all right. Let's 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 get out of here, guys. Uh, so if you disagree with my Jimmy Graham Austin Hooper take, or you have any other insights that you want to offer, any criticisms that you feel that uh, I deserve to hear. Suggestions for future topics or suggestions to future guests, by all means, get in touch with me. I'm open to all of that type of stuff. Check me out on Twitter. I'm at FalkFans. If it's podcast-related, just let me know in that tweet. But if it is podcast-related, you just might as well send it over to the show's Twitter handle. That's Locked on Falcons. That way I automatically know it is dealing with this illustrious podcast. If you don't like Twitter, then you can check me out on Facebook. Locked on Falcons is the Facebook page. Give us a like while you're there. We also have an email address. That's LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com. You can also post a comment on LockedOnFalcons.com as well as FalcFans.com. That's where the show is hosted daily. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I did a mock draft that I mentioned earlier last week on FalcFans.com, a first-round mock. I did have the Falcons taking Isaiah Wynn, so yay me. Uh, you can also check out LockedOnFalcons.com. I did post a leftover mailbag getting at some of the offseason questions that were asked to me back in January, clearing the, jack- the deck of January questions. Now we'll start to get into February questions next week on a Q&A. We're going to do more combine and draft-related stuff. Um, the plan is, you know, we got a week to prepare for the combine. Then there's the combine actual week and right. Or is it two weeks to the combine? Wait, today's tw- today's the 12th. The combine starts on the 27th. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So we got two more weeks to gear up for the combine. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm working through the process. All these outros as I often am. I don't plan these things in advance. Uh, two weeks to get you guys ready for the combine and then we'll have, I don't know, then I guess we'll start pivoting to the uh, free agency after that point. Maybe still talk a little bit about some of the standouts um, as well. And uh, then we'll be doing free agency discussion uh, throughout the month of March. As I've said on previous episodes, I don't expect the Falcons to be overly active. I do want to clarify the folks on if you listen to Saturday this past Saturday's episode where I was talking about the lack of cap room I didn't mention it in the show uh, explicitly but I talked about how the Falcons were going to be really tight on the cap space this year they can be less tight they can clear up room 
by restructuring some contracts. We've talked about them restructuring Levitri that we're talking about, them restructuring Brooks Reed and Derek Shelby. I think if they were to restructure all three of those deals, they could wind up clearing up anywhere close to $10 million in cap space if they did all three of those guys' contracts, if they if they did it in the right way. Um, anywhere between, you know, six and ten million dollars in extra room. And six and ten million dollars, you know, as I said on the previous episode, like, oh, they're only gonna have about, you know, five million or so to spend on on, you know, a handful of guys that they might want to keep, so they're not gonna really make any big splashes. Um if they can get another six to ten million dollars, then they might be able to make that big splash that I think everybody wants them to. But we'll see how they do. Um, the Falcons aren't necessarily uh, known for their willingness to restructure deals. I think they've what restructured like three in the last five years, so it's not necessarily something that's normal for them. But uh, I think if they are intending to be a little bit more active than I indicated in the previous episode, then they'll have to do that in order to make things happen. Again, I don't I don't think they're going to really cut guys because I just don't think they're really in a position where they're going to be wanting to get rid of some guys that were good last year, particularly guys like Levitri, particularly guys like Brooks Reed, Shelby. All three of those guys had their best seasons in like the last four or five years in 2017. And to cut those guys just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and, and then cutting Toy Lolo, as some people have opined, doesn't make sense because a year ago they thought that Toy Lolo was one of the best backup tight ends in the league based off how much they paid him. And even though Toy Lolo had you know, a subpar year, at least from my mindset, in terms of his ability as a number two blocking tight end, he was about league average. I think he graded as top 16 in run blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. So there's no reason to think the Falcons have done a complete 180 on him from a year ago when they thought he was one of the better backup tight ends in the league. At least they thought his market indicated that. So, uh, again, I don't necessarily see the Falcons cutting anybody. The same thing goes with Matt Schaub. We just saw how valuable... Uh, if you want to make a playoff, a, a Super Bowl run, how valuable having a, a veteran quarterback is um, at that spot. So Matt Schaub is not going to get cut. And no, I don't think Mohamed Sanu is going to get cut. That would be ridiculous. And, that, you know, that's coming from me, guys. So, you know, that means something. Um, so, yeah. Okay. That's it, guys. Um, more to stew on. We'll be back on probably Wednesday. I, I have someone scheduled. So, I'm not making this up. I'm not playing this uh, as we go. So we'll probably be back on Wednesday to talk a little bit more about Combine stuff and who who will shine and who may not shine and and more stuff like that. And then we'll probably be back on Friday with a QA. and a Um, That's the plan for the rest of the week. And so if you want to get those questions in, send them in to the addresses and the media accounts, social media accounts that I indicated earlier. And uh, that's it. So. Enjoy yourselves, guys. We're going to do this then. Stay locked on. Whatever. I don't know how to sign these things off. Someone send me a good sign. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I've been fighting people all day about Jimmy Graham online. It was pissing me off earlier. I was just like, oh, my God. Um, Okay. Let me do the intro and we'll get started. All right, right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Friedman, and today I'm joined by none other than Football Outsider and Setting the Edge podcast's Charles McDonald. We're talking about the impact of Jimmy Graham's, I mean, 
Jimmy Garoppolo's. <laughs> we were talking about the impact of Jimmy Garoppolo's record-breaking deal and the fallout it could have for Matt Ryan, as well as getting geared up for the 2018 scouting combine. 